We are continuing in homilies from the 24th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. We come today to the 22nd verse. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. This is the word of the Lord. Once again, holy God, we pray that your spirit would allow us to find our own lives in this sacred text, that you would open our eyes to your presence with us along the road. We ask it in the name of the risen Savior. Amen. I am continuing in a series of Lenten homilies that invite you to join these two travelers on the road to Emmaus. One of them we know was named Cleopas. We don't know the name of the other one. It could be anyone. Eventually, it is everyone who follows Jesus. Like the other disciples, these two had such high hopes for what Jesus could do. But then they saw him crucified in Jerusalem. And now they're on the road to Emmaus. We also don't know anything about Emmaus, so apparently that's not what's important. What's important is that it's not Jerusalem. It's away from the place of hurt. While they are on the road, a stranger joins them and walks beside them. We're told that this is the risen Christ, but Cleopas and his companion do not recognize him. As I said last week, the risen Jesus is typically hard to recognize. Today we come uh, to a part of the story where they began talking to this stranger with them. And they began to express some of the rumors they've heard about Jesus rising from the dead. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us, they said. And then they went on to talk about how these women went to the tomb and they found that it was empty, but they had a vision of angels who said that Jesus had risen from the dead. And then some of the others in their group went to check out this story. They too found that the tomb was empty, but they did not see Jesus. At this point, you and I have received about as much as these two travelers on the road. We've received a testimony. We've heard rumors of the risen Savior. But there's somebody else's words. Wouldn't you love to have been among those women who first saw the tomb empty, who had a vision of angels proclaiming to them that Jesus is risen from the dead? Wouldn't you love to have been the disciple Thomas who was invited to place his hand on the wounds of Jesus? 
then you'd be certain. Certain that Jesus would also save you from your own death-like experiences, from the death of your dreams and the death of relationships and the physical death of loved ones who leave a hole in your heart. If only you could be certain that Jesus would rise to save your visions and your calling, your, your scholarship, your commitment to the church, your call to social justice. If only you could be certain, it would destroy your relationship to God. Because the Savior insists on being bound to us only by love. And love is always and only a choice, a decision, an act of the will, a commitment. On the cross, Jesus spread out his arms to say, I will always love you, I will always forgive you. Even if you deny my love, even if you run from it, I will still give you eternal love. And faith, Faith is really just a way of saying, I love you too. But that requires a choice. Certainty is a veiled effort at control. It removes the capacity for choice, for faith. This is why marriages are bound together by vows, by commitments that are chosen. I can't tell you how many times I've stood in front of a couple exchanging these vows. One of them is vowing, as Christ did, that I will always love you, I will forgive you, I will love you no matter what. But the amazing part to me at this moment in the wedding is not that someone is making that vow, but that someone is believing it. You look in the eyes of the person who is hearing this vow, you, you can tell, gosh, they buy this. They have faith in the grace. And then on all the ordinary days that follow that extraordinary wedding day, they do anything they can to nurture each other's faith, each other's choice, each other's belief in the vow, in the commitment. But there is no certainty. If there was, there could be no love. This is actually true of friendships or even community. They're always bound together by commitments, by decisions, by faith. Have you ever tried to prove to somebody that you love them? It's exhausting. It also ironically, strangles out all of the love. God loves you too much to take away the honor of making choices. I think this is why Jesus, as a risen savior, was not apparent to the two travelers on the road to Emmaus. It's why he also often appears to us as a stranger on our own road. 
because he wants us to believe the testimony of the women. He wants the rumor of the resurrection that gave birth to the church and formed and shaped it for 2,000 years. He wants that to be enough. He wants to make room for you to choose to believe that even when your road is long and steep and there are terrifying storms along the way, there is a risen Savior with you even when that is not apparent. Lent is not just a season for sacrifice or focusing on our spirituality. It's also a season in which the church calls the question, do you choose to believe? And on the days when belief for you personally is difficult, do you at least choose to believe that we believe? Can we hold the faith for you on those days? Do you have faith in the grace? Because everything else depends on that choice. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.